Hi, I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories, to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's Constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. And today's Forgotten American Story. What is the forgotten story of the Pilgrims' second Thanksgiving? On previous shows, we've learned about William Bradford and the Separatists and what life was like for them because they did not have freedom of religion in England back in the 1600s. And remember, William Bradford and the Separatists, they were hounded, they were bullied, they were forced to pay assessments to the Church of England, even though they didn't belong to the Church of England or believe in the doctrine of the Church of England. They were put in prison on trumped-up charges, they were spied on, and they were tortured, killed, banished, and driven underground. So what can we expect in our lives today in America if we would ever lose our religious liberty? My goodness, I started to think... Because I bet you anything, it'd be very similar. In fact, I know uh, people in countries today, that's exactly what's already happening in our day because their country doesn't have freedom of religion. I'm glad I am an American, Art. Well, Lydia, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are glad you're an American. And we're glad that that Judy is an American and we're we're all glad we're all Americans. Lydia, refresh our audience memories again about what is a pilgrim? Well, I looked that one up because, you know, we tend to interchange the words pilgrim and separatist and Puritans. And I thought, okay, what is what here? And so the definition of a pilgrim is actually a person who journeys to a sacred place for religious reasons. And to the pilgrims, America was a sacred place because that is where they could worship their God according to the dictates of their conscience. So that's the definition of a pilgrim. And just for a listening audience and for Arch and me, I love the fact that when we are recording this, it's actually the 400th anniversary year of the Mayflower Pilgrims coming to America. They landed in America on November 11th, 1620, and it's 2020 at the time of this recording. So 400 years, that's huge. So happy anniversary, Mayflower Pilgrims. 
Tell our audience the difference between separatists and Puritan. So the Puritans were a group of people in England back in the early 1600s. That's what they were called, Puritans, because they believed the Church of England needed purifying from within. So in essence, they believed that the Church of England could be reformed. So they were called Puritans. And separatists, Lydia? That was another group of people in England, again, back in the 1600s, the early 1600s, and they believed the Church of England had reached a point of corruption that made purification from within impossible. So, as a result, they chose to separate completely from the Church of England, and don't forget, England's national church was the Church of England, and by law, everyone had to support the national church, which was the Church of England. So they chose to separate completely from the Church of England and began reading, studying, and applying biblical principles and teachings in their personal lives, just completely separate from the church, the national church. And it's a little confusing for a lot of people, Lydia, but were separatists and Puritans or the Puritans and separatists, both pilgrims? Yeah, by definition, they're both pilgrims because they both journeyed to America for religious reasons. Separately, they did it within 10 years of each other. The pilgrims landed in 1620. The Puritans landed in 1630, just north of where the separatists landed. And they each established their own individual separate colonies in the beginning. So that's my take on it. But then again, you're the historian, Arch. Any other P's and Q's you'd like to add to that? No, I'm more comfortable with asking you questions right? <laughs> questions because you know, uh, at, at my age I have a tendency to forget things rather quickly yeah uh, Lydia was there ever any working together between the Puritan group and the separatist group or did they pretty much go their own way throughout their history good question art I'll turn that one back to you I know in the beginning, obviously, they had to work separately because the Puritans weren't here yet when the separatists were getting established the first decade. But I'm sure they must have had some kind of interaction together because, hey, they're both from England. They had commonalities. I just don't know to what extent. What's your take on that? Well, I'm asking the question because I don't know of any collaboration between the two groups over a period of time. It seems like the Puritans were the ones who became very successful. And I don't read much about the separatist groups. I was just wondering if they had ever come together. Well, maybe that is something for us to revisit in another show. Okay, yeah, well, that's something that we, we can allow Judy to do some work on. Because and Judy, the president of We the Kids Knows Everything. So, so <laughs> tell us about William Bradford, please. So he was a separatist and, of course, a pilgrim who came to America on the Mayflower in 1620. He was actually the second governor of Plymouth Plantation for 30 years. The first governor was Governor Carver, but he passed away that first year, and then William Bradford took over by election. Did they elect him? Because it was a republic. And how successful was his leadership? I thought it was very successful because for 30 years, I mean, if he was doing a rotten job, they would have gotten rid of him a lot sooner than 30 years. And in fact, I think the only reason why he stopped being governor after 30 years is just because it was time for someone else to do that as he gets there in age. That's my take on it. Can you share with our listeners, Lydia, some of the struggles that these people went through when they came here? Oh, good heavens. Well, if you can imagine, there were no hotels here with nice warm beds and, you know, Red Cross here to give them warm soup or hot chocolate or something like that. The winter of November 11th, 1620, you know, when they arrived in Cape Cod Bay of Massachusetts, 
They didn't really know where to find food. It was a completely strange new land. They were scared of the Indians. The Indians were scared of them. They didn't know where they should settle. If you look on a map, there's a lot of beachfront property on Cape Cod Bay. You know, where do you plant your crops? Where do you start establishing your own village, etc.? And they had no clean clothes, no fresh food. So yeah, it's kind of a rough beginning. At least when we go off somewhere, like if we're going to go camp or something, at least we know where we're going. And most camp facilities these days have amenities like toilets and sinks and showers. And so rough going for them. They're completely starting from scratch in untamed wilderness. And Lydia, didn't they get here close to winter as winter was setting in? Well, for sure. Yeah, November 11th. Any of you who are listening who live up there in Massachusetts, it can be really, really bitter cold. And I know it was icy cold for them. I mean, when they sent the a shallop is a little, a smaller boat, I believe with a sail and it has oars so you could row it also if the wind isn't the greatest. And so they sent men in a shallop several times for the Mayflower to explore the shore of Massachusetts, Cape Cod Bay area. And there was one point, I believe they got caught in a storm. And I'm getting this from, I was able to obtain my own copy of an 1898 book called Of Plymouth Plantation, The Bradford History. It's William Bradford, who was that second governor of Plymouth Plantation, wrote later on an account of their trip on the Mayflower and why they came on the Mayflower, why they came to America instead of elsewhere to seek religious freedom. And in that book that the Massachusetts Historical Society was able to obtain, they did a printing of his journal, and I have a copy of the first printing of that. So I'm getting this story from that. So it's a primary source documentation. And in that, it talks about how they went in a shallop and to explore the coast to find a good settlement place. And they actually got caught in a storm and the winds and everything and the ice. It was freezing in their beards and their mustaches, making their clothes wet and then stiffen because it was so cold. And they got stranded on an island on an early Sunday morning. And because it was the Sabbath day for them, they chose to stay on that island rather than work. They believed in keeping the Sabbath day holy, the fourth commandment, I believe. And anyway, so if that tells you how cold it was, And there you go, Arch, you're right. You gave me a question, I answered it in seven words or less. (laughs) That was very cool. You know, so God does still perform miracles today. (laughs) Can people visit the Plymouth Plantation today as an historical site? Yeah, Plymouth Plantation is what they named their settlement there on the Cape Cod Bay. And today, someone has turned it into a living museum. And if you know what that means, it's where they have people dressed up like William Bradford, Miles Standish, who was also on the Mayflower and others. And they act as if they are William Bradford or, for instance, Miles Standish or any of the other pilgrims that came on the Mayflower. They have chickens wandering around. They have cattle and animals that are... Are from that time period. They're that, those kind of breeds. And the village is set up like they think it was set up back then, built the same way with thatched roofs, etc. And yeah, it's wonderful to go and visit. And then they have hands-on activities for the kids. So definitely, if you're in the Massachusetts, Cape Cod Bay area, go. It's great, especially if you have kids. But it's great if you're an adult. It takes you back 400 years. And we were talking about, right before, Lydia, you share about the second Thanksgiving. Share with our listeners, please, the importance of the Mayflower Compact and what that gave the (laughs) Pacific. 
Well, I love how it tells the why they sail to America. And I'm going to quote from the Mayflower Compact itself. It says, having undertaken the journey, in essence, to America for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, because that's where they thought they were headed. But obviously, they got way farther north than Virginia, having landed in Massachusetts. And it's also, the Mayflower Compact is also important because it is the first documented Republican form of government that we have on the American continent. And because the Mayflower Compact says, I'm quoting again, we whose names are underwritten solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one of another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends foresaid, which was to advance the Christian faith, the honor of their king and country, and to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, and also to enact, constitute, frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony. I love that. So, yeah, they, they established law and order in excellence. Before they even got off the Mayflower, they made sure everyone was bound to law and order for the general good of the colony, for their preservation. Especially, they would need each other and for being organized. And as, so they're uh, way off course, Lydia. They're here in mid-November. They have to establish to be able to live for the winter. They establish the first form of um, self-government, and they have a tremendous death through the winter. Yeah, they get through that first year. So share with the listeners, please, the second Thanksgiving. What's the story of the second Thanksgiving? Oh, I love this because between the first Thanksgiving that was October of 1621, remember they landed in November 1620, so October of 1621, and then 18 months later in the spring, other ships started arriving at Plymouth Plantation, and they kept bringing more and more colonists. Uh, Many were the friends and the wives and the children of the men who had left on the Mayflower almost three years previously. But the problem was these people would keep coming, but they wouldn't bring with them any extra food or clothing or blankets or tools even for them to subsist. So the poor pilgrims, you know, separatists were here at Plymouth Plantation having to keep sharing their provisions, their food. And it was getting to the point, you know, they kept cutting the provisions more in half. More people would come, they cut those provisions in half again. And at one point, it was said to a mere five kernels of corn per day per person. So look, next time you pop popcorn, pull out five kernels of corn, put them in the palm of your hand look at them and go boy this was dinner (laughs) you know this was food for the whole day for these poor people back in 16 this would be i guess 1623 in the spring of 1623 at plymouth plantations and so what happened is obviously they're in a very feeble physical condition and the previous two springs what they did is everyone was given responsibility to help plant and nurture the corn but they would put it in a common store which means at the end of harvest they would divide it all out equally between the members of the community throughout the winter but in 1623 they decided to do something different with the seed corn that was left each family was given their own plot of land for growing corn and now they had the freedom to to do with that land whatever they chose and do with the seed corn whatever they chose and with the harvest that they would get they could either store that harvest sell the harvest trade it you know a mixture of all three and so this was the beginning of free enterprise 
and a free market economy, which did something unique that they hadn't experienced before. When they had the common store, there were many that would go, oh, I'm not feeling well today. I just, I just can't work today. I can't hoe. I can't pull weeds. You know, kids would do that. Women would do that. Men would do that. And then there were those that were like, no matter what, they were out there in the fields and, and cultivating the corn and nurturing it. And so what happened is it kind of made a division between them where the workers were getting really ticked off at the shirkers, the ones that were shirking <laughs> off their responsibility and saying, you know, this isn't really fair. We're doing all the work. You're just sitting around, but we all get the same equal amount of corn throughout the year. Okay, something's wrong with this picture. So now that they have their own responsibility to plant their own corn on their own land, now we've got the shirkers joining the workers. And women and children who used to complain of weakness and fatigue were now out in the fields planting and cultivating. And young men who felt it was beneath them to work for other men's wives and children without recompense were now working to plant and cultivate as well. Okay, so I had to give you that background to the second Thanksgiving because now they're all excited because it looks like as the corn's coming up, they are going to have an amazing harvest because everyone has been working hard, not just some. And so what happened was it stopped raining and arch. So when it stops raining, you know, how are those crops going to do? Right, right. <laughs> so it lasted for over two months from mid-May through most of July and even the native Indians had never experienced a lack of rain for such a long length of time. The ground was parched, the beans were scorched, the corn was withered beyond what they thought was even salvageable, and despair started to grip them yet again because they were thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be another winter of starvation because they've already survived two winters previous, and those were close calls. But they chose to draw together closer as a community. And here's what's interesting, because of their faith in a higher power beyond them, they they started fasting and praying to importune their God for his assistance. And a quote from Edward Winslow, who's one of the pilgrims, he said, with every good man privately entering into examination with his own estate between God and his conscience. So they're starting to look inward going, um, have we done something wrong, God? Because we're really needing your help here. We need water for our, our uh, crops. So is it something we've done wrong? And maybe repenting of, you know, if they were sharp with their wife or if the children weren't really obedient to their parents, maybe they start saying, you know what, well, I'm sorry, mom, sorry, dad, or sorry, wife, sorry, husband, um, you know, fixing whatever they might have done wrong, trying to be worthy of God's blessings. And this is from William Bradford's journal that it started to rain, they fasted, they prayed, they asked for God's forgiveness, uh, try to make sure their lives were, were worthy of his blessings. And in his journal, which again, I have the 1898 copy, he says, quote, it came, meaning the rain, without either wind or thunder or any violence, and by degrees in that abundance as that the earth was thoroughly wet and soaked therewith, which did so apparently revive and quicken the decayed corn and other fruits as was wonderful to see and made the Indians astonished to behold. And that year in 1623, the pilgrims had a yield of corn so abundant that they had enough for themselves and enough to share and sell or trade. And so with that in mind, they planned a second day of Thanksgiving. And what I love is in one source, I read that the first course served at that second day of Thanksgiving was in front of each person on an empty plate were five kernels of corn, oh, well. lest anyone forget. 
Don't you love that? I just love that. Love that story. And that's just an amazing story, the second Thanksgiving. And Liddy, when you were talking, it reminded me that, you know, oftentimes when things bad happen to us, we think that, well, God's mad at us. And we know that the scriptures in Matthew tell us it rains on the just and the unjust. And how these people depended upon God for their substance. So thank you so much. That's a great story because we don't know much about the second Thanksgiving. No, we really don't. But there you go, folks. There you go. So we want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to continue to listen to We the Kids. And we want you to ponder about what form of government do we want to live under in America? The common store government or the free market capitalism system that we have today? We'd like to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to join us again for the next We the Kids radio show and hear more forgotten American stories and continue to learn the principles of freedom so that we can all preserve our freedom and liberty. And gather together as a family. Listen to the We the Kids radio show together. Discuss the stories and the principles that you learn. We know that strong families build strong communities, which strengthen our states. And strong states united together are going to make a stronger America. This is how we can make a difference. So thank you so much for supporting We the Kids. And now we want to invite you to see what the We the Kids Liberty Players are up to. I'm Daniel. I'm here with We the Kids Liberty Players. Our players will be reading today's script with today's accent instead of the way they spoke in the 1600s. Thank you, Miss Lydia and Mr. Hunter, for today's lessons about the pilgrims from the 1600s. After traveling across the Atlantic Ocean for over two months on the Mayflower, the pilgrims landed on the shores of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, 400 years ago on November 11, 1620. There, they built a settlement called the Plymouth Plantation. Thanks to the help of Squanto, a Native American who taught them how to plant corn, beans, and squash in this unfamiliar land, it looked like the pilgrims would have enough food to make it through their second upcoming winter and not starve. Let's drop in on a conversation between some of the Plymouth Plantation kids during the autumn of 1623, two years after they had celebrated the first Thanksgiving. Boy, I can't wait till we eat dinner. I'm starving. No, you're not. Starving is what we were doing over the winter, remember? How could anyone forget that? That was horrible. I remember being so hungry that even chewing on my own bootlaces looked good. I remember being so hungry that I could have eaten a whole chicken by myself. Oh yeah? I remember being so hungry I could have eaten two chickens with feathers. I could have eaten a whole cow. If it hadn't been for those other people who came here on ships after that first Thanksgiving we celebrated, we would not have starved at all. It's their fault. It's true. Before all those other people came here on ships, we were fine and had plenty of food to make it through our second winter without starving. I can't believe they came here without any food and expected us to feed ourselves and them. And they didn't even come with extra blankets for winter. Mother made me give my extra blanket away to a girl who did not have one heavy enough to keep her warm through the winter. Her own blanket was so worn and thin. Yeah, my mom gave my extra blanket away too to one of those newcomers. So that meant I was colder and starving last winter. But at least we survived. True. On a few slices of bread given to us each day for months because we had to share our food with all of them. And a few kernels of corn. Remember when we were each given five kernels of corn to eat along with a rationed few slices of bread? Not very good memories. 
It wasn't really all their fault that we starved again last winter. Some of us refused to work in the cornfields last spring and summer, thinking we were above all that. Remember how our uncle stayed home complaining that he wasn't used to working and sweating in the field? And that it was work for others who were younger to do? Like us. Even mother worked in the fields while carrying our baby sister. And father ended up working extra to make up for the labor his brother refused to do. It wasn't very fair. But some of us really were too weak to work in the cornfields last spring and summer. Grandmother had to stay home. She couldn't help us work in the fields even though she wanted to. And tried to. Remember how Mother had us walk Grandmother from the cornfields back over to the house that one day because she was shaking so badly? She was already weakened from so little food over the winter and spring. Working in the hot sun and day did not do her any favors. Yes, it's been so different this year. Everyone who is truly able to work in the cornfields this year is actually out there with the rest of us. There are no more shirkers. We are all workers. I know. Even our uncle is back to helping us this year, and he's not even complaining about it. It's amazing how our governor giving each family our own plot of land this year to work. However we see fit has made such a difference. Look how much corn and beans and squash each family grew on their own land. Everyone is up and out in their own field every day. Everyone at Plymouth Plantation seems happier this year, too. I have noticed that also. I hate to admit it, but I used to complain a lot when Father would wake me up to work the cornfields with him. But now that Father gave each of us our own section, I like seeing how much more corn I have grown than the two of you. Well, I have grown more squash on my part of land than you did. And I grew more beans than either of you did, and my corn grew taller than yours. That's because you cheated and put extra fish in each mound of corn seed you planted. I saw you. Both saw you. That's true. I have, Now we all know that extra fish placed in each mound of corn seed works to grow taller corn. I think it's amazing how every family on the plantation has prospered and grown so much food on their plots this year. Remember when we did not have our own family plots of land? Remember how we all had to work the field and whatever food we grew had to put in a common store then divide it among us? Everyone got an equal portion, even if they did not work the land like the rest of us. That wasn't very fair either. True, I remember thinking, our uncle gets the same amount of bread that I get, and he did nothing to earn it. I worked in the fields all day. I should get my ration of bread and his. Well, I'm grateful that Governor Bradford said each family is free to do whatever they feel is best to do with the extra food we grow. Thankfully, our whole family has grown so much corn that Father said we can each sell or trade our extra corn for whatever we need, and I need new bootlaces. Okay, you two, let's hurry and help Mother finish setting the tables outside for celebrating our second Thanksgiving. Here you go. Mother said for me to give you these to put in the middle of each plate. What's this? Seed corn? Yes, seed corn. Mother said for us to put five kernels of corn in the center of each plate. For what? Why does Mother want us to do that? Surely she doesn't expect us to want to eat seed corn again. Especially when we know Mother has made her popular Plymouth Plantation pumpkin pie.
Well, when all of us at Plymouth Plantation see the five kernels of seed corn in the center of each of our plates, Mother wants us to remember something. Oh, to remember how blessed by God we are this year. And to thank Him for all that we have. Yes, to thank Him for all that we have. And so, as each of us prepares to celebrate Thanksgiving this year, let us remember all that we have been blessed with and thank Him for all that we have, even if all we have is five kernels of seed corn placed in the center of each of our plates. From us to you, we wish you a very blessed Thanksgiving and 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Pilgrim's arrival to America. Thank you for joining us on the We The Kids radio show. Thanks for listening today. To help us preserve our republic, please visit wethekids.us and make a donation. The future of our nation depends on an informed electorate.